Why don't you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. It is our fourth week in the book of Galatians. Paul's letter to the Galatian churches is a response to false teachers that have been poisoning the minds of the Galatian Christians. And as we saw last week, Paul is absolutely furious with these false teachers. The Galatians first received the gospel from Paul. He was the pioneer missionary that went there. Paul's gospel was a gospel of grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, meaning there is no action that we humans need to complete in order to be saved. God saves us through grace despite ourselves, apart from ourselves, and he brings us into salvation and new life completely according to his own will, to his own choosing, to his own plan and his own activity. He does it all. It is completely by grace alone. And these false teachers were adding to that message of grace. They were trying to put human works on top of the grace of God, saying certain actions need to be completed in order for you to be truly saved, in order for you to have right standing with God. And so whether or not the false teachers were aware of it, they were diminishing from the work of Christ. They were taking away from the work of Christ, saying that somehow his work was incomplete. Therefore, you, Galatians, need to do these things to fill up what Christ wasn't doing. So they were diminishing the work of Christ. And they were threatening these Galatian Christians, which Paul dearly loved. So he's upset. He's upset with these false teachers. I encourage you to listen to last week's message if you, listen, or if you missed that. It's on the website. Or the AV guys can give it to you. So today we come to verse 11 in chapter 1. We come to a major transition uh, in, in the letter. As the letter progresses, uh, the introductory words conclude, and now sort of the, the main body of the letter begins with verse 11. And what I want you to see is Paul's main point of this passage today. The gospel of grace did not come from men but from God. And then God transforms people for his own glory. So that's what I want you to see today. Uh, let's, why don't we pray before we read? Father, it is a grace to be here this morning, to be fellowshipping with other believers, others that you have transformed. It's a grace to even call upon the name of Christ, to know that his name is beautiful, is wonderful, is powerful. That's your grace at work in us. You've done it. And now I pray that you continue to lavish your graces upon us this morning as we go through your word. Help me in the preaching of it and all of us in the listening of it to be transformed more into the image of Christ. It's only by your grace. So we ask that you work. And pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's read verses 6 through 24. Follow along, please. And if you don't have a Bible, conveniently there are Bibles in the chairs on, in front of you. All right, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to, into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to, vid- to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to preach, who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So in verse 10, Paul is making it clear that he is not seeking the approval of man, only God. He only wants to please God. But before we come to verse 11, I feel like I, I want to clarify something or elaborate on something. Uh, because in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, or verses 19 through 22, Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more to them. To the Jew I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. If you love complex sentences, then you're going to love Paul. Paul says, I have become all things to all people, that by any means, by all means, I might save some. So Paul is not afraid to become like others, to join in their customs, to take on their characteristics, to win them over to the gospel. So in this regard, he is very willing to please people, right? I say that to make a distinction about what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 1. Paul will never change the gospel of Christ. He will never change what he received from God, no matter how much people are going to be offended by it, no matter how much they're going to buck against it, no matter 
how much they're going to persecute him for it. Paul is not going to change the gospel of Christ, but he will change himself. If there's anything in Paul, in himself, that would stand in the way of the one listening, he will remove that obstacle. He will become like any person if it will help them to hear the good news of Christ. So Paul will later say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he's willing to change anything about himself so that Christ can be seen. He will never change the essential message of the gospel. The gospel came from God, and what God has created, no man can alter. And this is exactly what the Judaizers and the false teachers are in Galatia are attacking Paul for. The Judaizers are falsely claiming that Paul has no authority and that he is not an apostle or he is not like the other apostles that are in Jerusalem. And so this has two implications that are severe for the Galatian churches. One, Paul did not receive a revelation from God. If Paul is not an apostle, then he didn't receive a revelation from God. And two, if Paul is not an apostle, that means he learned the gospel from somewhere else. Someone taught him it. So you see, this is exactly what Paul is counterattacking, arguing against in our passage today. He wants everyone to know that he did indeed receive the gospel, the revelation from God. From, he received the revelation from God. He is an apostle of God as much as the other 12 are. But more important, more important than that, he wants the Galatians to be 100% confident that this gospel has come from God, not from man. It can be fully trusted, fully relied on. Your life can be bet on this gospel. He doesn't want anything to compromise that, even the questioning of his authority. So look at verse 11 with me now. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. You see, he's already addressing it right away. Paul's not preaching man's gospel. It's not something that could have been contrived by man, not crafted in order to please men or to tantalize people because of other things that Paul says. 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The most common effect that this gospel Paul is preaching has on people is that they are offended as Paul's suffering testifies. Because the gospel calls hell facing the wrath of God, separate from the holiness of God, unable to enter into God's presence. And so our only hope is to be saved. We have to look to Jesus, crucified, enduring our punishment and our shame for our sins. We have to trust in Jesus that through him our sins have been dealt with and forgiven and removed. Death has been defeated. Now anyone who trusts in his purifying work is saved, has eternal life. So again, gospel is saying that you are a wicked person and you cannot help yourself. 
and you're facing, you're bound to face the wrath of God. And you need a savior. That is deeply offensive. Especially in the society we live in, a self-help society. And the gospel says you cannot help yourself. Surely this can't be something that was made up in the minds of men. Verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's main point, his main point of our passage. The gospel did not come from man, but from God. So before God said, let there be light, he had already created the gospel. He had already planned it. He had already conceived it. And what was long hidden from the minds of men was revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus' broken and bleeding body, the greatest expression imaginable even for God to display his love and his power and his mercy. Paul says he received that gospel through a revelation. I don't want that word to be lost on us. The word revelation, Paul is using a Greek word for apocalypse. He received Christ through an apocalypse. God's revealing of the gospel has deeply profound implications for the new age, for the end of an age, for God's purposes in all creation, for the arc of human history. It is all culminating in this apocalyptic revelation of Jesus Christ. Man did not conceive this message. This message came from God. And then Paul goes on to briefly explain how God revealed it to him personally. It's something of a parenthesis that he goes into, like an autobiographical parenthesis. But here we go. Look at verses uh, 13 and 14 with me. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my, father, of my father's. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that Stephen was the very first Christian martyr. He preached the gospel of Christ. He was a deacon in the brand new church, preaching the gospel of Christ. The Jews hated him for the gospel that he was preaching. And so one day, they gathered against him. They drug him outside of Jerusalem, and they stoned him to death. And as they were stoning him, they laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man, Paul. Paul oversaw the first execution of a Christian. Listen to this description of Paul from the book of Acts. And you should also know that Paul's other name was Saul. Acts 1 and verse 3. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And, there, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul was a nasty guy. He was persecuting Christians everywhere. He was hunting. He was hunting Christians. He was driven. He was passionate, zealous, zealous for the law, zealous for the traditions of Judaism, zealous for God, as far as he understood it. Romans 10, verses 2 and 3. For I bear them witness, the Jews, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul can write that in Romans because he was a Jew that lived it. He knows what it is to be passionate for God, to throw everything aside for religion and to have absolutely no clue who God is. And I wonder how many people there are in our church here in America who have a passion for God and yet have no knowledge of him. They live by laws. They live numbed by comforts and pleasures. They have a hunger for entertainment that is greater than their hunger for Christ. They call themselves Christians. But where is the love of Christ? Where is the fruit? Who are they sharing the gospel with? What are they sacrificing to lift Christ high? Have they been changed at all? Well, we all need Jesus to crash into our lives. And we all are in need of fresh revelation. And the revelation that Paul received was dramatic. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So God had a plan for Paul. God had set Paul apart and God did this before Paul was born. God did this long before Paul was born. In fact, in eternity past, God had called Paul. God had set Paul apart. And God does this for every single one of us. Do you know that God does this for every single one of us? If you are a believer, a follower of Christ, if you have given your life to him, then he has set you apart from eternity past. Ephesians 1 Verses 4 and 5. Even as God chose us in Christ, when? Before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will. So Paul knows God has purposes for him. He knows that God chose him and set him apart and loved him and called him a son before time began. He was a son of God always, even if there was a time in his life that did not reflect that. 
And so you, it's the same. If you have come to Jesus in faith, God has set you apart just as he has set Paul apart. And God has a purpose for you, a purpose for your life. Things, works that he has set aside for you to do. You are now, and you always have been, one of God's sons or daughters. And that is amazing. Well, when it pleased God, he called to Paul through that revelation. He set him apart, and when it pleased him, he called Paul through revelation. I'm going to read those verses again. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So put your thumb there in Galatians. We're going to turn to Acts. Acts 9 verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read to you and follow along what happened to Paul. Acts 9 verses 1 through 6. But Saul, who was also Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters of the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. I encourage you to read the rest of that story. It's remarkable. So as Paul is going with murder in his mind, to Damascus, God reveals Jesus Christ to him. But wait. Here we come to a moment where I think uh, the ESV translation gets this wrong and the NIV gets it right. Look back at verse 16 in Galatians 1. Was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, I think that that should read in. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Your Bible might even note that discrepancy. Reveal his son in me. This is significant. This is deeply significant because Paul is not talking about an external experience like witnessing a car crash or looking at the Grand Canyon. He's talking about something that's happening deep inside of his soul, moving him, changing him, some existential experience. It's reworking his whole life, his whole reality. Jesus Christ is being revealed in Paul. Yes, Paul is seeing a vision. He is hearing Christ's voice. But there's this much deeper revelation that's going on. He was changing. Everything Paul thought that he knew in a moment is upended and proven wrong. His whole life, his whole being. As Paul, as Christ appears to Paul, Paul is transformed. What a radical transformation, right? From persecutor 
to preach her. God was pleased to do that in Paul. Now we're going to come back to why that pleased God. There's so much power in, that, in those little words, God was pleased to do that. But one reason that God is pleased to do this in Paul is because God had specific plans for Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul traveled the Roman world everywhere he could go, preaching the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ. And through his letters, Paul preaches to these Gentiles today. So indeed, God had purposes for Paul, and God has purposes for each one of us. It is God who transforms Paul by miraculous revelation of Jesus Christ. No man did this. No teaching did this. God himself did this to a, a man who was stubborn, a man who was zealous, a man who had everything right. And I think that a Christian in general is a person like Paul, transformed dramatically, created anew. So we all have our different stories, right? And few of them, I would say, are as dramatic as Paul's. I don't think anybody here has been hunting Christians. I hope. But we all have this deep wickedness residing in our hearts. We're all arrogant. We all look to help ourselves to make our own way, just like Paul was doing. And Christ transforms wicked people into his holy, glorious, joyful people. So it's a process that we're in and we're going to go through for the rest of our earthly lives. We will never be perfect, and yet there needs to be evidence of God's work in us. So I'm not, I could easily get really deep into this, but I'm going to avoid that. And I'm, I'm just going to simply ask you, how has God changed you? What's he done in your life? Here's a challenge. Find a friend or a family member and ask them this question. Where is Christ reflected in my life? Ask a straight shooter. Don't ask somebody that's too afraid to answer that question. Where is Christ reflected in my life? And then Paul comes back to his main point. The gospel did not come, back, come from any man. Look at verse 16, the end of verse 16. I did not immediately consult with anyone. And he just continues into the next verse. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So after Paul receives the gospel, this transformative life-changing experience. He doesn't consult with anyone in Jerusalem. He doesn't go to the, the religious authorities in Jerusalem. He instead goes into Arabia. In other words, he sought no human validation. He sought not to make sure that this gospel was really legit. He took off. He went into Arabia. Parentheses. 
A note about this trip in Arabia. This trip is not reflected in the book of Acts, and scholars are greatly divided about what on earth Paul was doing in Arabia. But what they're coming up with is kind of fascinating. I thought I'd share it with you. Some think that he just took some time to meditate on the, on the Old Testament, on the scriptures, and see how the gospel is reflected there. Some say he went there to evangelize in Arabia. This could have been something like his first missionary journey. Others say that Paul traveled down to Mount Sinai, and there he spent time meditating on law and on grace. I imagine Paul did all these things. I'll close that. Nonetheless, Paul did not immediately go to Jerusalem. He did not receive this revelation from any man. This came from outside of man. He did not learn the gospel from the apostles. All he needed was the supernatural validation of the gospel transformation that happened in his life on that road to Damascus. Oh, and then Paul says he did go to Jerusalem. (laughs) Look at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. I'll keep reading. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. So the trip to Jerusalem, three years later, was not to sit under the teachings of the apostles, as how the Judaizers were saying. That's not why Paul went to Jerusalem. Paul received the gospel. He had already started preaching it. He was already validated in it. He was called independently by God to be an apostle. But he spent these 15 days with Cephas, with Peter, the apostle Peter. And they didn't just talk politics and weather. Certainly, they talked about the gospel Certainly, they would have seen how the gospel harmonized. They would have talked about the way that God was working in them and through them and around them. would have talked about all of these things, matters of theology. So Paul is bringing this up to say that he didn't go there to learn from them. He went there to be in fellowship with them, to be in harmony with them, to have relationship with them, with Peter particularly. It's not about receiving instruction. It's about fellowship. Paul's revelation is in perfect harmony with the apostles, and you're going to see that stressed um, much more fully next week when Russ preaches. And all things considered, 15 days is a pretty short time, especially to get a whole systematic theology down. Paul's purpose remains clear. No one can accuse him of having learned the gospel from the apostles nor any man. And then Paul continues with his autobiography, verses 21 through 23. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Okay, again, drop a thumb there. Paul went to Syria and Cilicia. Let's turn to Acts Nine, we're going to look at verses 26 through 31. I want to show you the parallel account to what you just heard. Acts 9, verses 26 through 31. And when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, 
for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him already. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Normally I would have a map at this point to show you these different places, but our projector just can't handle maps anymore. It's really fading. We're working on that. Anyway, at the end of this passage in Acts, Paul is, says that, or, or Acts is saying that he was sent to Tarsus. Tarsus is in Cilicia, which Paul mentions in Galatians, Cilicia. I said Paul's other name was Saul. His full name, though, was Saul of Tarsus. So Paul is being sent home, and he's evangelizing at home. Paul also went to Syria, to Cilicia and Syria. Antioch was in Syria. The church in Antioch became something like Paul's sending church. From there, Paul was sent on his first missionary journey, second missionary journey. And from there, from Antioch, Paul is very likely writing this letter to the Galatians. Antioch is significant for another reason. Acts 11, 25, and 26. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And today we go by that same name, Christians. Paul has had a hand in every one of our lives through the writings that we find in the Bible and somehow being involved in this name that we call ourselves, Christians. And again, in describing these travels, Paul is emphasizing his main point. All of these travels, all around, means that he wasn't in Jerusalem with the other apostles, learning from them. His life is a life lived in response to the gospel. He's out there preaching it, sharing it, planting churches, encouraging the churches, living out his calling as an apostle. Who can question it? He's not being taught. He's the one out there teaching it. What an amazing transformation from one who used to persecute the church. Look at verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. Paul stands firmly as an apostle of God, an independent apostle of God. His gospel of grace, of Christ, is true and authoritative, and his Judaizing, false teaching critics are silenced. And now I want to circle back to what pleases God. At the end of verse 16, God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. Pleased to transform Paul for his own purposes. But there is more, so much more that has 
just such profound implications that we can barely scratch the surface today. If God is pleased to transform Paul at that moment in time, the implication is that God is pleased to not have Paul transformed for a period of time, to live in his ignorance and his wickedness, to persecute the church and scatter the church and murder. God is pleased to allow this. Now, I think that God is using Paul and persecution to accomplish global purposes that I don't have time to elaborate on, but I want to ask the question, why all this pain? If God is pleased to wait that long to change Paul, then why is God pleased with all of the pain that preceded it? Well, because of verse 24. God is glorified because of Paul. Paul, profoundly wicked man, leaving that trail of destruction everywhere he went, and God in his power and in his love and his, in the revelation of his grace, he takes that man, he rips him out of his wickedness, and he calls him to grace in Christ, establishes him as an apostle. God's will cannot be resisted by the most zealous, the most stubborn, the most religious, the most hard-hearted person imaginable. Who would have looked at Paul and said, that man has any hope? God's grace, when he effectually calls, cannot be resisted. And Paul became an amplifier for the beauty and the power of the grace of God. So that Romans 5.20 could be written. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul is that. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The blackness of sin. The black backdrop to the brilliance of grace. Like, when you go to the jeweler looking for that engagement ring. If the jeweler's smart, he'll hold up a black backdrop behind it. And then the shimmer, the facets, the beauty of that diamond really pop. And sin is the black backdrop for the beauty that is the, the grace of God. Paul's story is dramatic and compelling, but God has specific plans and God calls Paul to suffer tremendously. He goes from persecutor to the persecuted. And he is showing with his life that there is nothing more valuable, more important, more significant, more beautiful, more powerful than the grace of God at work in him who rescued him from his wickedness. And people saw this. The churches saw this. The, the churches that were by his hand persecuted, they saw this and they glorified God. They didn't see this and say, why, God, did you persecute us? They say, how amazing you are, God, to take this wicked man and rescue him. How beautiful and powerful your grace. So if you have faith in Christ, then that means that God, in his specific plan, is doing this in you. He is working in your heart. He is transforming you. 
He's giving you a story of how the grace of God, how his own grace has overcome your wickedness and the blackness that was your life, your brokenness and your death. If God is doing this in you, then it's God who gets the glory, not you. And he's doing this in you. He's, he's giving you the story of his grace so that you can share it. So that's what Paul's doing here in Galatians. He's sharing his story, right? This is his story of his grace. And he's not sharing it for the first time with the Galatians, but everywhere he went, he shared his story. Churches are planted, lives are saved, churches are encouraged, God is glorified. The churches in Judea, they're glorifying God because of Paul's story. So when you talk to people on a deeper level, you always have an opportunity to talk about who you are, your experiences, your passions, what makes you you. Obviously, I'm not talking about small talk. I'm talking about real relational conversation. Is Jesus on your lips in those moments? If Jesus has transformed your life, how can you not speak of him? Or a transformed person who's been transformed by Christ cannot share their story without sharing the grace and the work of Christ. So if you have no story, or if you are too ashamed to speak of Christ in those moments, then one must wonder if you are more like a person who is zealous for God but who has no knowledge of him. Or a person who thinks they're a Christian, but will one day say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. Share your story. God has worked in your life so that your story can glorify him. The gospel of Christ crucified is not something that people dreamed up one day. It's not been contrived to tantalize man's desires or merely to give you comfort in a very difficult world. That is not what the gospel is. God himself conceived the gospel before the foundations of the world were laid, and he delivered it through Jesus Christ, our Savior, to transform the lives of men and to bring glory to himself. That's what the gospel is and does. Oh, that God would glorify himself through our lives. The story that he's working out in our lives. At the end of our days, would it not be amazing if there was an assembly of people who looked at our lives and, and glorified God because of it? Are there people today who look at you and give glory to God? And if not, let us strive to bring God that glory. Let us ask him that he would work in us to be that kind of person where there would be others who glorify him because of our lives, because of what God is doing in our lives, because of the story that he's giving to us. God's transformed you to share that story. Don't keep it quiet. Father, we praise you for your work, for the gospel, 
We praise you that when we could not, despite our own delusions, when we could not help ourselves, you intervened. And you took us from life to death. You made that way available, called us into it. And I pray that as we wrestle with this world around us, that you would continue to transform us, continue to build in us a story that leads others to glorify you, that our lives would be a source of praise, that you would be exalted. Because it's no longer we who live, but Christ in us. Help us, Father. Help us to do these things, to realize these things, to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son. Thank you for the testimony of Paul, the example that you set before us in him, and the challenge that it is to us. If our lives could just be one one hundredth of his, what an honor. We praise you and thank you for your grace and your gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen.